Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. My special guest on today's show is Lieutenant Colonel J.J. Snow, who is the Chief Technology Officer of AFWorks, the Air Force's Innovation and Incubation Division. J.J. will be talking about public and private partnerships and what's on the horizon of the future of the military and in technology, so don't go away. This week's tech news... As we most of us know, on the Senate, they are grilling the CEOs of Facebook, Twitter, and Google again over what they perceive as censorship. In the Cyber Tip of the Week, I will be talking more about what Section 230 is and the ramification of these companies if they lose that protection. In acquisition news, the Department of Justice has blocked the $5 billion acquisition of Plaid by Visa. Plaid is a company that integrates data into other apps, like say you wanted to get connected with your bank, Plaid is a solution for that. And there's a lot of discussion about the blockage of that acquisition. So I'll talk about that more in a future show. I wanted to congratulate Chooch AI, who was on our show recently, Emra Gotikin, who is the CEO. This week, they just announced closing of their $20 million Series A. A lot of news earlier was about how insecure Zoom video conferencing was and how they've been making strides to secure that platform. Well, believe it or not, Microsoft Teams, which was one of the most popular alternative solutions, also has security concerns. And this is more from a user perspective. So I'll do that in a future show. I just want to let you know that all new technologies or all technologies that get adopted have the ability to be vulnerable. So as you work on these applications, Just be very mindful. In the case of Teams, be very aware of whether or not you're granting access to users to be able to upload or download files, which may contain malware, and also that uh, people could be taking data that you don't intentionally want them to do as well. And that is the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest today is Lieutenant Colonel J.J. Snow, who is the Chief Technology Officer of AFWorks, the Air Force's Works Division. Welcome, J.J. Oh, Keith. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Big fan of Silicon Valley Insider and just um, really, really delighted to talk about all kinds of things tech today with you. Well, that's the greatest thing about having you on the show is that you're in the military, but you're fully versed on all the things that are happening in the business community, the tech world. So thanks again for being here. But I think we wanted to start off with just how did you even get into the military? It's a fascinating thing. (laughs) It's kind of a winding path. I kind of meandered my way into it because uh, before the military, I was in a private nonprofit and then I joined the Fish and Wildlife Service as a park ranger and wildland firefighter. And then they made the mistake of sending me back for a degree uh, in political science. And that led to a Middle Eastern studies degree and an environmental policy degree that then led into uh, my my enchantment with the Air Force, uh, which was supposed to be four years and uh, a master's degree and turned into over 18 now. I retire in in the next couple years. So it's been quite a journey. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, I, I think it's great that you have that diverse background because I think it goes to show, I think a lot of people sometimes have a mindset, especially young people, that they have to be locked in knowing what they're going to oh do. And no, in, the no, tech, no. in the tech world, <laughs> that's not the case. You have so many opportunities to pivot and follow your passions. And so that's why it's been a really amazing run for you. So as part of the CTO of AFWorks, and I know you do a lot of stuff inside and outside, what are the activities you have? What's in your purview? Oh my gosh. So um, a, a regular day for me is a little bit unusual uh, in that it might start off with talking to a company about a pickup truck launched satellite that can go into low earth orbit and support communications for a crisis response effort. Or it might be talking to somebody about 3D printing a brand new building. Or it might be talking to a team about how are we going to deploy a bunch of drones that are actually going to survey our aircraft looking for dents and dings so that we don't have to have people physically climbing on them, reducing the risk, and then also decreasing our maintenance time and finding efficiencies that way. Every day is different. I'm scouting and vetting all types of different technologies. And then most of my work is public-private sector partnering. I work with private sector companies, small businesses on up to big corporations. I also work with uh, 34 different universities nationwide right now. And we also have our non-traditionals, our hackers and makers. Uh, they will come in with some of the coolest applications that I've ever seen for existing technologies and make us think twice about what these technologies are, are capable of today and where they might be in the next 18 months because they're definitely thinking beyond the box. That's a really busy day. I don't know how you keep up with that. I thought I had. I love it. I love it. I I'm a lifelong learner, so I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a huge tech nerd like me, so it's yeah, it's the same. I, I don't get up at five a.m. or earlier, so like like you probably do. But <laughs> there's an accelerator component to AppWorks, right? There is. There is. So we um we're structured really uniquely, and um. I'm pretty excited to share what it looks like because a lot of people are saying, well, we, we're having a hard time finding friendly front doors into the government. Come talk to me. AFWorks is one of those friendly front doors. The way we're set up is we have three physical locations, one in Las Vegas, one in Austin, Texas, and a small one in DC. Now those are closed uh, during COVID, but we also have a digital presence. And this is where those creative collisions can continue to happen between all of the government partners that come into our spaces and play, because it's not just Air Force. My primary customer is Air Force. That's who I work for, but everybody's invited. And throughout those spaces, we host different challenges. So for uh, example, we have a green energy challenge that's going on right now, looking at energy solutions for the base of the future. What does that look like as far as battery technologies? What can we find for solar and wind technologies or gas powered technologies? Um, what exists in novel electronic solutions uh, that we can begin bringing in and incorporating into existing systems or bringing in as an adjacent innovation to replace existing systems. So the challenges are one area that people can get involved in, and that's open to everybody. We also have AF Ventures. Ventures is really cool. It allows public and private sector partners to come together around a variety of solutions and find funding where the government is funding it and taking it one path. At the same time, the private sector also sees the applications and is able to fund it that way. This does a couple things. Make sure that the, uh, the company is actually staying competitive. And at the same time, it's building it out in such a way that they've got customers that are larger than just the Department of Defense or just interagency. 
Um, this makes them um, not just more competitive, but also more creative. And a lot of times the solutions that are coming out of that type of collaborative initiative between public and private sector partners and ventures is really beneficial for everybody. This is where we're seeing a lot of um, technology for social impact because what's being developed in the military is also impactful for the nation and our allied partners. That's great. I'm going to want to talk to you about that in our next segment. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. My special guest today is Lieutenant Colonel J.J. Snow, who is the Chief Technology Officer of AFWorks, the Air Force's Innovation Division. If you have any questions or comments about what we're talking about today, email us at info at svi.biz. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel J.J. Snow has all of the same uh, social media channels, so go look her up, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On the show today is my special guest, Lieutenant Colonel J.J. Snow, who is the Chief Technology Officer of AFWorks. That is the Air Force's innovation arm. Welcome again, J.J. Uh, thanks, Keith. This is so much fun. We're just geeking out in, in the in-between moments there and uh, so much tech to talk about. So much tech. So I have a question for you, uh, a burning question for me, is we talked earlier in the show about the public-private partnership. And there is this, uh, obviously, there's this stereotype that it's difficult to do business with the government. What is it like to actually, as a technology startup or a technology company, what's it like to actually get your foot in the door with the Air Force? How difficult is that? So this is where I'm so excited because before coming into the innovation side of the house with the Air Force, I was skeptical. I was very skeptical. And uh, Secretary Gertz, who's uh, Assistant Secretary of the Navy, he actually brought me in when I was at Special Operations Command to work at Softworks, which is their innovation branch. And he said, hey, we're innovating in government. And I said, no, I'm not buying it. But he was doing it. And so I I got on board. And I've got to tell you, with the AFWorks model, we've taken innovation and acquisitions agility to the next level. This is what gets me so excited. Prior to this, it would take, you know, a year, 18 months to get the money to a company. A small business can't wait that long. They don't have that much time. They need to start bringing in profits right away, start growing, scaling. Um, in this case, if they come in and they apply for a small business innovation research or, or a scientific uh, tech transfer uh, sitters or sibbers program with us, when they're picked up, they get 50K right off the bat. And that happens in, in 45 days or less. And then they get a list of AFWorks, Air Force customers to talk to. Those customers will sign a memorandum of understanding which allows them to go direct to a phase two agreement with the United States Air Force. This means that they can directly take that letter and say, look, I have an Air Force customer that wants to work with me for the next 18 to 24 months. I'm ready for phase two. That phase two award will happen in another 45 days. So they get their first 50K to shop around to different Air Force customers right up front. That gives them a year. Then they get their next amount and the next amount of money varies because there are a couple things that can happen in a phase two. You can actually have the command that sponsors them put money towards them, and then the the AFWorks, SIBRS, or SITRS program will match that. And so, say, for example, you have a command that puts forward $300,000, we will match that $300,000. And then, this is where it gets really interesting, if there's a private sector partner through ventures, 
that sees that this is a technology of interest that could be commercialized and used outside of the Department of Defense, they may choose to put an additional 300,000 or 600,000 towards that. That all goes towards that company for the next two years to work with that specific customer to build out the capability. That is unprecedented. We have not seen acquisitions moving this fast before. Um, so I'm really, really pleased to see that we're continuing to tighten the timelines and look at opportunities to get small businesses in the door and also to take them through a dual path where it's not just a defense department customer, but they're also getting access to private sector customers as well. That creates a more stable foundation for their business. It makes them more profitable and it keeps them very agile and competitive too. Thanks. That, that makes a lot of sense. So thanks for the answer. Following up on that, uh, we, we haven't talked too much about my past where I was doing technology deals for companies like Cisco and MUFG, uh, also owning what we call third-party or vendor risk. So is there a risk qualification? Because you sound, the military sounds like it's much faster than a vendor trying to get through a bank, for instance. So is, yeah, there, a, and is, I, there, is there a risk assessment? That's a, that's a good question. So we do a lot of the vetting up front and then that 50K, that's our initial investment and our one-year timeline to see is that technology going to solve the problem that the customer wants? That's our risk assessment period. That's where we're really vetting and testing it. So in many cases, myself or another team member will look at the technologies initially and vet them to make sure that yes, they can actually do what they say they can do and yes, they meet a specific need or requirement put forth by the Air Force. Then that next one-year period where they're being put against a specific project is proving it out. Uh, a great case in point, we had um, a tool that was being used for um, sub-voice analytics. Brand new. Everybody said, oh, it's not going to work. You can't do that. And um, it's, it's very exciting. Uh, they're actually able to detect, uh, like COVID, if you're sick, they can tell even just your breathing. Oh, that's amazing. Right. And, and uh, I think MIT came out with an article on a similar uh, version of this, too. But the AI is just is profound. It's absolutely profound. In this case, we were looking at can we use it as a way to detect risk um, for you know, potential insider threats? Or is it something uh, for partisan forces downrange that you could use to detect insider threats? And in fact, it does, because people, even if they're answering yes or no, their voice will inflect a certain way. Everybody said, oh, we're not sure about this. We actually did some work with a bunch of universities, the research labs, and it turns out that, yeah, in fact, this is actually a really good tool for that too. So this could be used in a um, variety of situations as far as understanding what a potential threat might be, um, even if you don't know the, the people that you're working with and you're in a foreign country, you still could pick up on that potential threat risk. So it, it's interesting. And then with the health perspective, you can pick up on the COVID risk. So these are the types of technologies that will run through that one-year program. And it gets really exciting to see um, how they're solving the problems during that time period. Now, if they don't, they've still got the 50K right off the bat. And if they're not a good fit, then they don't get a, a memorandum of understanding. They don't move on to a phase two. And that's okay. Not every company will. Um, but it's a, a great way for them to start off and also to get familiar with what the government requirements are. Yeah, that's a really great thought out process. And I'm, I'm impressed at how fast the military can move. So in terms of the venture aspect of that, does the government take equity in these companies or that's handled by the partners? 
Yeah, that's that's completely. We don't do any equity. That's you know, as we're we're sponsoring and funding. This is um, we're putting the money in. We're investing in the idea in the concept in some cases because we see the potential for it to solve a specific uh, problem. Now, if a venture capitalist comes in and partners with us, that's an equity discussion between them and and yeah. other and and the company owners. But yeah, we're. And on my side, I don't know very much on the contracting side. I'm more on the tech side. So I can geek out on the tech all day. But once you get into the fine lines of the contracting stuff, that's not my background. No, yeah. And uh, I have a lot of experience with that. It's, it's, it's mind-numbing. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how many companies go, is there a certain number that you vet in a given year? Is it flexible? What is the, what does the batch look like? It's, it's flexible. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a great case in point. We had a joint acquisitions task force that would, was stood up around COVID-19. Um, that happened early spring. And we vetted, ooh, I think, 1,500 technologies in a matter of a couple months with a team. Um, and these were technologies that ranged from uh, different types of medical devices, uh, like ventilators, uh, oxygen meters, uh, disinfectants, uh, different types of masks, I, everything that was just brought in and the team went through and yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And then matched it out and it sits in a, um, there's a database that it will go into that is supported, it's called Vulcan. And all of our private sector partners can go in there and actually post, hey, here's our, our solution, here's a quick white paper on it. Here's who we're working with in government already. Here's our contact information. The government can go in and look across all of those spaces and see all the technology solutions around a specific pro project or problem set. And they can then curate them and specifically invite them to different events. Um, that's how we're able to move as fast as we are because we have these digital platforms where people can engage directly with our team and with teams across the government and really keep things moving fast. That's great. Well, thanks for going through uh, that description. Are is the materials available online for people to find out more information? Does the government hold webinars on how to we do, do We do. So AFWorks, uh, during our, our Cibbers and Sitter cycles, we will actually have a weekly webinar that is free. If you've never done it before and you have a technology you think is of interest, you just sign up on our website, our AFWorks website. And uh, and Keith, I can get you that too to share with your, your, your viewers, your listeners. Um, they sign up. And they can attend as many weeks as they want, as long as the sibbers and sitters are open and ask as many questions as you want. It's a five page application. Our team walks you through how to do it. Uh, we minimize the paperwork. We minimize the, uh, the amount of effort that you have to put in to it, just get to the basics. And then that gets you into the, the, uh, the list for consideration. Well, great. Well, thanks a lot. So in our next segment, I wanna talk about more public and private partnerships. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. Special guest today is Lieutenant Colonel JJ Snow the Chief Technology Officer of AFWorks. If you have questions or comments, email us at info at svin.biz. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we're going to be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, my special guest is Lieutenant Colonel J.J. Snow, who is the Chief Technology Officer of AFWorks, which is the Air Force's Innovation and Incubation Division. And J.J. has been talking about public and private partnerships and the future of military and technology, so don't go away. 
on this week's cyber tip, I want to follow up what I reported during Tech News, which is on the Senate grilling the CEOs of Facebook, Twitter, and also at times Google over the perception that there's perceived bias or that they're censoring content, especially from conservative voices. Uh, what I wanted to refresh people's minds is that Section 230 is from the Title 47 of the United States Code 47 USC 230. It was passed as part of the Communication Decency Act of 1996. And why this is relevant is this is what gave a lot of protections to the internet or internet companies. So whether you are Amazon or Google or Facebook or Twitter, or whether you're an independent blogger, that law is what allowed you to do things that publishers like traditional television news, newspapers, magazines, radio shows could not do. And this is what's being challenged. Both Dorsey and Zuckerberg did testify that they felt that changes would be made to 230, but they're hoped that they're done in a measured way. Uh, this is just the beginning of the discussion. It's not nearly the end. And I think certainly through the rest of uh, the fallout of the election up to the inauguration of whoever's going to be president, I think that this will continue to be in the public's eye. So as always, I just wanted to caution that no matter what happens with Section 230, there will be ramifications and just to be very aware of what that not only means to social media companies, but also to independent bloggers and content creators. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest today is Lieutenant Colonel J.J. Snow. She is the Chief Technology Officer of AFWorks, the Innovation Division of the Air Force. Earlier in the show, we talked about her background, which is, you have to listen again because it's a, it's a very interesting path to technology, which is often the case. We also talked about what AFWorks is. And the last thing, we actually talked about how much easier than we think it is to actually do business with the government. And if you're a startup, how you can get your foot in the door with the Air Force. So welcome back, JJ. Thanks again for being here. Thanks, Keith. This is delightful. I'm really enjoying our conversation. So I wanted to focus on the public-private partnership that happens uh, between the military and the, the private sector. And we can talk about any number of projects. As a kid, I was always fascinated. My uncle, we talked about, my uncle was, um, before he retired, he was a NASA scientist working on propulsion. It was um, just, as a kid, it was amazing to get exposed to that. And it was always this thought that whatever space program in, in aviation was working on, we wouldn't see that technology years until years later. So we think about cell phones, we think about um, smartphones and televisions, all these other things, things that the military had to develop first. So how does that all tie in today? It seems like things go a lot faster today. Yeah, everything's moving faster today, right? You have all these disruptive emerging technologies, you know, industry's pushing them, hackers and makers are pushing them, uh, academics are pushing them. And so trying to keep tabs on that is almost impossible uh, especially across all the different sectors. I, I mean, typically we look across uh, 37 different sectors right now, additive manufacturing and drones and space and human performance and medical and on and on. Um, we would not be as successful as we are were it not for our partnerships with the private sector, academics, hackers and makers. And this is really important. Um, and there, there's a big piece I want to touch on here because I, I know um, in some of the discussions I've had with uh, friends in, in New York and Chicago, Silicon Valley, there's been concern about you know, how technologies are used in the military. And, and what I'd like to say is 80% of the operations we do up front 
are meant to prevent us from going to war to begin with. We have conscientious objectors that will come in and team up on projects and they'll tell us, we don't want to work any projects that are going to be involved with combat operations. And so we'll find a way to incorporate them and to bring them in. Um, we have other people that, you know, it doesn't matter. They're happy to work on, on any projects or team up with us. But it's important to have that discussion. And, um, you know, one of the, the things that I really want to emphasize is that there are so many bright people out there and so much amazing technology in the way of artificial intelligence and machine learning, what's happening with quantum right now, um, that we need to have these discussions. Because if you don't want to build it to be used in a combat situation, don't build it like that. But do build it for the good of society and to find efficiencies in the government and to help in other ways. People are smart enough, companies are smart enough to build it in such a way that it can be used to drive decision makers towards diplomatic decisions, that it can be used to help break down complexity. Uh, if you've ever been in a really chaotic situation where there's stuff blowing up around you and people are screaming and running and there's dirt and everything flying all over the place, it's really hard to make a decision in that kind of scenario. But imagine if you have a system that's with you, you have access to something that can help you to understand the decisions, the options that you have in front of you and understand the second and third order effects. We have the technology to build that today. And I think if we're willing to acknowledge, you know, the uses of technology and that there will always be people out there that will try to use technology for malicious purpose. And we have to be aware of that and acknowledge it. And we also have to be aware of the fact that there are a lot of benefits of technology and balance the two in such a way that it makes sense. Then we can find that, that point where everything comes together and we can do a lot of good for the country, for the world, um, for our military. And I, I got to tell you, having deployed multiple times downrange, um, people don't want to go to war unless we absolutely have to. So if there are ways that we can smartly figure out how to use the technology to prevent that and to make smarter decisions uh, about strategy and, uh, and diplomacy and how we move forward. Yeah, I think that would be pretty amazing. So I, I would say to all of the technologists out there, um, just because we're the military, come talk to us. Uh, yes, we have to fight wars. And yes, people die in wars and it's, it's horrible. But I would also say don't let the tough, messy discussions deter you from coming in and having the important discussions that could be world-changing. Well, I, I think it's a super important conversation. I'm glad you brought it up. I, I've, as uh, a startup mentor, there's been many companies that have come to me with uh, potentially military applications, but the always is like, we don't want to weaponize a drone. We don't want to weaponize X, Y, Z. But I think just hearing that 80% of the technology is specifically intended to not see combat to not be in deployed in the field in that situation. I think that is helpful for a technologist to understand. And we've had companies too, Keith, that have come in and have said, Hey, we have this solution. We don't want it to be used in a combat role. And so we're designing it in this way and it will help you with maintenance or it will help you to move something or it will help you here. We, um, we try very hard to be respectful of that. As people come in, they, they come as they are and they contribute as they want. And that's, I think that's also been a big draw for AFWorks because everybody's able to come in and contribute in a way that's meaningful to them. And that I think is growing this massive ecosystem where 
people feel like they have buy-in and they have a say in where we're going in the future. And that's really the way it should be. Thanks. So what are a few of the technologies that are current that you're looking at that you can actually talk about? Oh my gosh, there's so many. <laughs> there's so many technologies. Um, so uh, most recent, our, our biggest event most recently was actually back in July, we did the Base of the Fusion event, Base of the Future event, which is our fusion event. And um, oh my gosh, so much. So we uh, we lost Tyndall, Tyndall Air Force Base in a Category 5 hurricane. And the idea was to build it, build it back, build it better. What does that look like? And then what technologies are we building um, the future base with that also translate over to uh, our city areas or maybe some of our rural areas that will help out there? So we started looking at tools for crisis response, disaster recovery. Um, drones are incredible. Oh, my gosh. So you can now have drones that will fly out in a disaster area, um, map down power lines, map uh, dangerous areas. If there's a building that's been collapsed, you know, map that. Highlight where there are survivors. Could potentially even highlight the survivors and you can speak to them through a microphone on the drone and have them follow you safely out to where we can get a vehicle to exfil them. If we can't get to them, say they're on a roof of a house and it's flooding, we can actually drop supplies down to them with a radio so they can talk to our, our, our search and rescue party and let them know, hey, we're okay, we're here. And then the party can keep in constant contact and tell them we're coming. We can use drones for uh, mapping. And I mentioned earlier maintenance because they can fly around our jets instead of having somebody crawl all over the airplane and figure out where the dents and dings are. Now this drone can fly, stitch the image together and show you, oh, here's where everything is. It's broken and needs to be repaired. That saves four weeks. That's incredible. So these types of new technologies are really finding efficiencies, saving lives and helping us reduce risk for our personnel. Um, 3D printing is another one that I just, I'm a huge fan. It's, it's blown me away. Um, there are a couple companies out there that are 3D printing buildings, and we looked at buildings that could be 3D printed using the local soil um, and in such a way that it would be hurricane resistant. I mean, 100 plus mile per hour winds. And these buildings also withstand flooding. And so if we build them on some of our bases that are most at risk, um, that reduces the risk for our personnel. It protects the resources and it actually allows us to be more energy efficient. We've started to look at green energy incorporation with us. But the really cool thing is, as we're testing all of these new technologies out with the 3D printing, we're also looking at places overseas like Puerto Rico or Latin America or Africa, where you have floods, you have tsunamis, you have hurricanes that come through. This is an opportunity to be able to 3D print homes and create permanent communities with safe structures that are long lasting using local resources. And you can do two of these houses uh, in about 24 hours uh, with some of the printers. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. It's crazy. <laughs> right? They could have the infrastructure inside. Um, I mean, there's just so much that we can do here. And so as we're building for the military, we're also looking at how do we build this in such a way that when we're going into places and we're doing foreign internal defense or we're going in to do a, a medical capability event um, to help the local countries, what does that look like? What kind of technologies can we bring that help them improve life there? And that, that's, um, that's been a really exciting part of a lot of the work that we've been doing to see um, the secondary applications for the private sector for, um, for our nation and for other nations. 
All right. Well, well, thank you so much for going through the examples with the drones and with the 3D printing. I'm sure there's more we can talk about the next time you're on. So um, when we come back, though, I want you to talk about you as a futurist, what you see is on the horizon. So uh, don't go away. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. My special guest today is Lieutenant Colonel J.J. Snow of the Air Force's innovation arm. She is the chief technology officer. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. I do recommend you download the podcast and listen to it over again, especially if you're a startup wanting to do business with the government. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today, my special guest has been Lieutenant Colonel J.J. Snow, who is the Chief Technology Officer of AFWorks, the Air Force's innovation arm. Welcome back, JJ. Thanks, Keith. This is so much fun. I'm having a blast. Yeah, it's been a great show. We talked about uh, the e- how it's easier to do business with the government. We talked about the incubator that AFWorks runs. And now I wanted to talk about, and we also talked about the public and private partnership, but I want to talk about the future. I mean, you're a futurist. You're well known in the industry, public and private, for being a thought leader. We talked a lot about technology today. What do you see happening in the near horizon? There are a lot of interesting things happening, but the one that's been on my mind most recently has to deal with machine learning, artificial intelligence, and quantum. The reason being, these areas are game changers, and whoever masters these areas first, at some point, will have a first-mover-only advantage, which means they will then conquer that vertical or multiple verticals that they control. So understanding where exactly those capabilities are today, here, as well as overseas, and understanding who owns them, because not all of these technologies are owned by nations. Some of them are owned by corporations. And that could really make some interesting things happen as far as regulatory and policy discussions go. We haven't had to discuss what does the future of governance, technology governance, look like when you consider that um, an entire vertical or a group of verticals might now be con- controlled and um, you know, the future of the, those verticals are now dictated by a corporate entity. What does that look like? So there are a lot of interesting discussions that I've started having with some of my friends. And um, I, I got to tell you, th- it's exciting and it's a little terrifying at the same time. Um, I feel like uh, it's, it's time that we have a, a, the next Asilomar. Um, for quantum AI and machine learning. And we sit down and we talk about, okay, what does this look like? And if one nation or one corporation comes out as the leader, um, you know, what does that mean for everybody else? Because at some point that AI is going to outthink everybody else's AI and that quantum processor is going to outcompete everybody else's quantum processors. Uh, which means you're constantly going to do that because you're continuing to evolve it at a, pa- a pace, a rate that's faster than everybody else's. Um, we saw this with uh, AlphaStar, um, which Google had, and I, I, it blew me away. I, I mean, you now have an artificial intelligence capability that's beating some of the best in the world in a very fluid, dynamic, uncertain environment where it can play 
multiple different races with uh, different types of, of aircraft and vehicles and villages. And it's got an economic component. It's got a diplomatic component. It's got a, a, a warfare component and it's making decisions um, and it's doing them very, very smartly. Um, this makes me look at AI and quantum writ large and say, Hey, we probably need to sit down and talk about what the world looks like when this does happen. Um, and we probably want to make sure that we're all in agreement on what that means and that not just one group is benefiting, but everybody is getting the benefit of that. So I, I feel like that's where the discussion needs to go next. So how do you facilitate that? I mean, it, it's uh, no secret that a lot of people feel like China leads in AI and possibly. Yeah. And so how do you actually talk about, you know, it, I'll talk more from a competitor versus an enemy standpoint, but in competing market forces, competing market players, how do you have that conversation? It's a great, it's a great question. So what we've been doing a, a lot of is actually talking with our academic partners, talking with uh, experts that are deep in this area, uh, because in the government, you are not going to be deep in an area like that, especially in the military, unless that's your job full time. So we have to rely on outside experts. We have to rely on, on companies that are working these spaces to come in and best advise and give us insights, give us that ground truth. Um, the public-private partnerships are even more important here because we're building consortiums. We're building teams with bright minds around the toughest problems. and that's where we get after the right solution. So when you're talking about, um, you know, a, a competition uh, with a, another nation state, or you're talking about competition between corporations, um, understanding what that looks like. And if you take it from a game theory perspective, you know, um, what, what game is being played and where does it make sense to be collaborative and where does it make sense to be competitive? And, um, you know, what, what's, what approach do we want to take with that? And I, I think um, always when you're considering tough problems like this, the right place to start is by having an open discussion, sitting down and talking about where's the technology today? Where do we think it's gonna be in the next year and the next three years? And what does that mean? Not just for a single nation or a single company, but for everybody. What are the implications there? And by understanding that, I think we can come to the best decision for everybody to benefit from it. Thanks, JJ. I mean, I think that's a great way to end today's show is that uh, what people think and what they're um, stuck in in terms of current mindsets and current models, uh, technology has the potential to change that for uh, good or bad. And so having the proper way of thinking about it early is uh, putting people in the right frame of mind because that helps open up that we have a discussion in the current tense, but it's the future tense that, that will sometimes catch us by surprise. So thanks again for sharing all that insight with us. And I definitely want you back on when you have time. I would love to, Keith. This has been a lot of fun. And, and there's so much that I, I'd love to share. Um, again, big fan. And, uh, you know, I, I've got so many wonderful partners that have come from Silicon Valley that have been advisors, that have been teammates, that have come in on our challenges. And, we're just so grateful because their mentorship, their advice, their teaming has been uh, in large part our success. So thanks for having me today. Uh, this has been fantastic. I look forward to our, our future catch-ups. Thank you. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider.
If you have any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svn.biz, and we will see you next week. Thanks. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 